The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. All right, so we're starting a brand new series in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Colossians. We're going to look at uh, the first eight verses tonight. The title of the message is Favor and Peace. Favor is another word for grace, grace and peace, but I, I like the word favor, the favor of God that will be upon us. So let's bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Gracious Heavenly Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit and thank you for this weekend. Thank you, Lord, for families. Uh, thank you for getting together with one another and, and making our homes open and inviting family and friends and having a meal. And we're so thankful for your goodness. And we're so needful of your divine and amazing grace. Your grace is amazing, Father. And your mercies are new morning by morning. And I thank you for all those who are watching or listening or joining in, obviously those who are right here. Uh, and wherever people may be, may we hear what the Spirit says to us. For all Scripture we know is God-breathed. And therefore we open our spirit, our minds, our hearts. We're ready, Lord, to hear your voice. And as Paul wrote this letter to an ancient church, because it is your living word, it speaks not only to the ancient church of Colossae, but it speaks to the modern church of 2021, all over the world, and how we need the message that you divinely downloaded and gave through the apostle Paul. Lord, we're desperate for you, hungry for you, leaning into you. And we need guidance, we need wisdom, we need direction, we need the, the help and the moving of your Holy Spirit. So I pray that you will bring health and healing and comfort and salvation to every heart according to their need tonight. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray and ask all of these things. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So let's begin Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul is launching off uh, in this letter. And you probably uh, know if you've been with us the last few weeks that we kind of just finished uh, a couple of weeks, weeks ago the book of Acts. And we left Paul in house arrest in Rome, and he was going to be there for the next two years. Well, so the, here's the continuity. While Paul is in prison for those two years, he writes several letters. One is uh, called the book of Ephesians. Another is called the book of Philippians. Another is called Philemon to an individual brother in the Lord. And the fourth book that he wrote while he was in Rome in prison is Colossians. These are some of the most lofty, uh, divine, brilliant letters of the entire Bible and New Testament. And he wrote them while he was in prison. 
So this is not a long book. We're going to be, so we've, you know, kind of took bigger uh, uh, sections in the book of Acts and telling that story. We're going to kind of look at smaller slices and pieces of the word because it's deep and it's rich and it's just packed and filled with dynamic, supernatural power. Every word, every phrase, every verse is going to lift us up higher and higher and higher into the heavenly realms. Can I hear an amen on that? You guys, are you guys ready to be lifted up into the heavenlies? So the great phrases that are in this letter sum up the letter. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says that in all things he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. In chapter 2, verse 9, he says, In him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And finally, in chapter 2, verse 19, he writes, Christ is all and in all. The story is told of a celebrated German sculptor, J.H. Van Daniker, uh, that, you know, a while back when he was asked by Napoleon Bonaparte to make a statue of Venus for the gallery of the Louvre, and he declined. And frustrated, uh, then Napoleon apparently offered an enormous sum of money, saying, hey, this is me, I'm the emperor, uh, you're going to do this, but still he refused. And when the emperor angrily demanded the reason, why won't you do this? You don't, what, there's not enough money. The sculptor answered, sir, I have made a statue of Jesus Christ, and from now on I can never lower my chisel to carve an inferior subject. That's the book of Colossians. Once you have touched, the, the whole book can be summarized in this phrase that we're going to, week by week, you know, the next few weeks as we go through Colossians, the, the, the beautiful, mystical, glorious, supernatural phrase is, in Christ. Can you say that out loud with me? In Christ. Being in Christ. What that little phrase means, how powerful that it is. Uh, this is the theme of Colossians. The secret of true spiritual life is all about Jesus. So following along in your outline, uh, life lesson number one. I want to begin with this. God is who he says he is. And you are who God says you are. The reason that I want to begin with this is because right now, listen, there are, uh, as we get into more and more dramatic days, there is a spiritual attack. And, and if you do feel that there is an acceleration of spiritual warfare, by the way, how many have felt the last year or two, the, the uptick of spiritual warfare? Anybody feeling that with me? Why is that? I believe it is another sign that Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is getting ready and things are moving in the spiritual heavens that are being reflected by all the scurry down here. And the book of Revelation tells us the reason that the devil starts getting agitated is and angry is that he knows he has but a short time. Can I hear an amen on that? Isn't that good news for us? <laughs> In fact, the shorter time he has, the better it is for us, because we can't wait for the Lord to come. But I have never seen, you know, now with social media and all of the various accusations, do you realize how much what you and I believe as kind of just basic Christian 101 is being attacked? 
Jesus is not the only way. Jesus never said he's the only way. There, there's nothing about the cross or you have to have a man that was sacrificed or blood or all these ancient myths, they call it, of Christianity. It's everything that is the foundation of what Christianity has been since the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is under suspicion, under attack. The very bedrock things you and I believe are being challenged. That's not what the Bible even says. There's many ways to God. Yes, Jesus is kind of the first rung of the ladder, but you can go other ways. You can add other religious beliefs. You can syncretize other paths of spirituality. And, and it goes on and on and on. Well, listen, I want to just say this. There is nothing new under the sun. Everything that's being attacked right now was being attacked literally in the days of the Apostle Paul while he's in prison. Here's a church called Colossae. Paul didn't even start the church. Paul had been in Ephesus. He had been there, as we know, for about two or three years, planning the church, being the pastor of the church. Colossae was a smaller city 100 miles away. But you know, how did the church of Colossae get started? Because somebody traveled from Colossae to Ephesus because they heard of the supernatural, miraculous powers of this one called Jesus of Nazareth who had risen from the dead and those who prayed in his name and believed in his name were healed of their diseases or delivered from the demonic realm and there was lots of occult superstition, mysticism, and even real bad supernatural stuff going on and people came from Colossae, got saved, and went back from the revival in Ephesus and started a new church. Paul had never been there. He'd never visited or had the privilege, but he now knows there's a real solid foundation, belief, brothers and sisters trusting in Christ. And, and here's what's interesting. Uh, all of the accusations, all of the cults, all the other things, they don't really want to go take brand new people and bring them into their weird religious beliefs. They love to go to Christians who really believe in the gospel and steal them away and say, oh, there's inside information. Oh, you didn't hear about this. There's other gospels. There's other things Jesus said. There's other ways. You've got it all wrong. And they want to, they want to work on you and pull you away. That's why the apostle Paul wrote this letter because what's happening today was happening then. There's nothing new under the sun. Because let me just tell you this, the devil and all of the fallen angels who are already under sentence, they haven't had their final being thrown as it were into the bottomless pit, but they know that's coming. And do you know that they are so agitated and in such rebellion against God, they're not happy to go alone as they had already rejected him long ago but they want to drag as many human beings with them as they can. So they're after you, especially if you have a simple, loving, childlike faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to say this. Um, you know, in my, at my house, uh, where, where I live in Escondido, uh, we, have, we inherited, you know, a, about an acre, and we've got about uh, a dozen orange trees on it. And I just wanted you to know this, because we, we've you know, lived there for a while, and I don't know anything about orange trees. I just, I look at them, I water them, I go, they look pretty, and then when I want orange juice, I pull off some oranges and I juice them. And I will say this, uh, which we did this morning, pulls, there's nothing, if you have never had 
fresh oranges, you know, you pull them off the tree, you juice them, and then you pour it into a glass and you drink it. If you've never done that, you're missing out. There is nothing like it in the world. But then finally, you know, we've been there for over 10 years and they weren't looking so good. And so we had, you know, one of these guys that knows all about trees and he goes, oh, man, well, look, your trees are getting sunburned. You need to cover them with this special kind of paint here. And, and there's aphids on there. And then there's little bugs that come in. And so it needs some treatment and it needs a little bit of help because the trees that we have uh, apparently are about 50 years old. And they said, he goes, but don't worry, they got maybe as much as 50 years left in them. And they produce oranges here in Southern California all year round. So I want those rascals to keep living. So what he said is, it's not a lot, but with a little bit of treatment, you can prevent uh, the, you know, all of this weird stuff that is trying to come and kill your tree. And you can protect it. What I want to say to you is that the enemy is trying to spoil the leaves of your tree or, you know, taint the fruit of the spirit in your life with wickedness, with lies, with despair, with discouragement, with fear, with anxiety. Maybe I don't know what, I, what it is that I really believe. And he wants you to drift off into another area. So the book of Colossians is healthy it is like getting fresh soil. It's actually about getting uh, refreshed with the water of the Holy Spirit and being cleansed so that your fruit is bright and that it is sweet and that it endures. Amen? Amen. All right. So look with me. Let's, let's read again in verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother... To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to note this, verses one and two. We have received divine favor. Notice here in verse two. So, so Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means a sent one, he is, it's by the will of God, so God's grace to Paul's life, he didn't earn it, he didn't deserve it, but God just called him. And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. To the saints. Now, you and I have heard of saints, but usually when we hear of saints or we think of saints, it is somebody that has been canonized. Someone who is, you know, they've done so many good deeds and then they're examined and their life is looked at in different perspectives and then they are, they have to be qualified and then there's a vote that may be taken and then they become a saint. But what's interesting about this, all I'm saying is just going to the Bible, the Apostle Paul is writing to an entire church congregation not just to the leadership, not just to the minister or to the pastor or the you know, missionaries, but he's writing to the whole church and he calls every single one of them a saint. And so what, this is, so what Paul's revealing is if you are saved, it's because you're in Christ Jesus and that then Christ is in you, it has nothing to do with your good deeds, it has nothing to do with your efforts, 
or, or your personal holiness, it is you are, the word saint means holy one, and you are made holy by virtue of who is in you, the Holy Spirit, the very spirit of Jesus Christ. He is holy, he's in you, therefore you are holy, and therefore you are already a saint in Christ Jesus. Did you know that? You're a saint. You are a holy one. So what I want to say here is that, that you know, this, again, I'm hearing so many crazy things about God, who he is, what he is, and they go, no, God is like this, and they have, it has nothing to do with what the Bible, which is God's word, and which he himself has said, everything that is written in the word is God-breathed and divinely inspired. It was written by the Spirit of God through human beings, yes, but the human beings were like pens in the hand of God. Look, don't make God so small that he struggles to get his own word down to human beings. God is big enough that he can choose different people, 40-some different authors, over 1,500 years, and yet he put that pen in his hand and he wrote from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and it has one common theme that goes from the beginning to the end, and it brings him glory. It's one story, and he is the one who authored it. God gets to describe who he is. We don't get to make that up. We don't get to borrow and choose from different bookshelves and different generations and cultures and a little mysticism and Eastern this and, and a little cultish that and then kind of mix it all up and come up with our own brew. <laughs> no. God reveals himself to mankind through his own divine word, at his own saying, by divine inspiration, through the various pens that he wrote through. And there's no contradiction from the beginning to the very end. It is one story. And the one final point that it all goes to from Genesis to Revelation is his son, Jesus. Jesus is that pinpoint of divine brilliance because God is unknowable. God is immense. God is omni-everything, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He knows all things. And God revealed himself through that divine pinhole light of his son, Jesus Christ. So we're all, so I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, did you know that I'm a saint? Go ahead, share that with Share that news with them. Some of you are saying, I told you. <laughs> we should treat each other uniquely that way. Now listen, you know, and how is that true? We're, well, I'm a saint. When you realize who we are, if God gets to define who he is, he gets to say, this is who I am through his word. He also gets to tell you who you are. The creator of the universe. We don't get to make that up either or mix our own version of what we think humanity should be. God, through his own divinely inspired word, gets to reveal himself and gets to also tell you who you are in him and in his son. You are holy. You are a saint. You have received divine grace and favor. And so in Ephesians chapter one, this is, I'm just gonna read 
uh, a parallel, that, you know, again, Paul wrote this same letter the same time that he wrote Colossians. And listen to what he talks about, his theme. What I'm going to say is his theme while he's in prison there in Rome was the same in each of his letters. So this is from Ephesians chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first uh, few verses here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Sound familiar? Just like Colossae. To the saints who are at Ephesus. They're saints too. You're a saint. I'm a saint. The faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us acceptable in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ." both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now listen, as you think about that and as we read that, the phrase, so those are the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter one. And he, in those few verses, uses the phrase in Christ or in him no less than 10 times. That's his letter to the Ephesians. Now, back to Colossians. What is he saying again? In Christ Jesus. So this is going to be, if you're going to, uh, you know, how many of you plan to be with me the, the weeks that we go through the book of Colossians? Are you going to go with me on this journey? Because I want you to read it and I want you to think about it. And, and if you don't remember anything else I say tonight or in the next few weeks or whatever, I want it in your brain that you know your identity is only, it's not found in you, no matter how cute you may be. But our only identity is found in Christ. Say it with me, in Christ. Did you know 2,000 years ago, and even to this modern time, archaeologists who have gone all throughout Rome and all of the catacombs in Rome, back to the days when there were Christians in Rome and they were throwing Christians to the lions, yes, in the Colosseums of Rome, that there are hundreds of nameless slabs of those who died in the catacombs of Rome who which carry this inscription over and over and over and over again in Rome, in Ephesus, in Philippi, in Colossae. 
And they don't put, it's not their name, but you know it's a Christian because it says, in Christo. In Christ. That's a soul. It's a brother or sister. We don't even know their name. They're nameless, but we're going to meet them in all of the glories of heaven and eternity. And, all, and they, what they put on their tombstone was, I was a sinner, but now I'm in Christ. And many times the corollary underneath that would be, and in peace. Testifying of the radical newness and the joy which they found in Christ. So Paul says, Verse two, grace, you know, so to the saints, faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want, to, I want you to know this. Everything with Paul is sealed with grace and peace. Did you know that 2,000 years ago under, in the Roman Empire, how would you say hello? Like if you're in Hawaii, you say aloha. Uh, and... In ancient Greece, they would say grace. That was the way you greeted one another was with the word grace. But it took a different meaning with the Apostle Paul. Grace means undeserved favor. And then what's beautiful about uh, the other part is that he says, so we're in grace. We have divine favor. I want to take just one moment and say this about divine favor. You have, because you are made in the image of God, divine favor. The very fact that you are a human being and that you came from, you know, the beginning of creation, out of all that is in the universe, out of whatever other galaxies there are, whatever other forms of life there may be, and we know the entire angelic realm, but know this, you, because you are made in the image and after the likeness of God, are the most special creation in the entire universe. You are special. Absolutely unique out of the whole of God's creation. And in fact, what little bit we know of the angelic realm is a cup on the one side for like the holy angels, they marvel as Peter writes and are, their mind is blown, if that's possible for an angelic mind to be blown. Their minds are blown with the love that God has for human beings. Made for a little while, a little lower than the angels, yet destined because we're made in the image of God to one day rule over the angelic realm, that they are heirs, they are ministers to the heirs of salvation, but they are fascinated with us because God, and through his son, left heaven, came down to the earth into a world of pain and suffering. Angels don't know pain and suffering. They know heaven. They know the glory of God. They know the throne of God. They know perfection. But he came down into this fallen, broken world through the incarnation, related to us, and then took our sins upon himself, and then died, and then resurrected, and now is calling men and women to come after himself. They cons every angel considers it a pleasure and a joy and an honor to serve you. You are unique. You are special, even in the angelic realm. On the fallen side, they're jealous of you because in reality, we have replaced them. We are the darling of the heart of God. So you have divine favor. God loves you. And you didn't have to do anything 
You didn't have to perform anything uh, you know, special just by virtue that you exist, that you were created. You have grace. You have divine favor. You have the heart of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. While we were yet sinners, when we were in rebellion against God, he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. How much more then does he love us now that we've turned around and faced him and run to him and called on his name and received his love? Do you hear me? You are the most special of all the universe. You have divine favor. Wherever you go and the favor of the Lord is there, it's from the Lord. So that's the Greek greeting. And then how do Hebrew people greet one another in the morning? Shalom. Everybody say shalom. And if you're from the south, you say shalom, y'all. So (laughs) shalom, peace. But I want you to know this. Peace is not just, it is more than just the absence of trial and tribulation. Because obviously in a fallen, broken world, it's, it's every, you know, you can't have something like that. It's not That's why we pray for that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not here yet. But you can still have the shalom of God. The shalom of God is the peace that does not come from outward circumstances, anything on the outside. The shalom of God comes from having, and and here's where it's a divine peace. It's literally the peace that flows from heaven itself. And where it comes from is the presence of God. Wherever the presence of God is manifest, there's shalom. Where is he? He's inside of you. The Holy Spirit. So that's why we're in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I have, I'm just, you know, we wake up and we find out, wow, we're like the most special creation in the whole universe. God thinks we're awesome. So much so that he gave his only son to die on the cross and arise from the dead, to be seated in heaven, and he's coming back. And not only do I have divine favor every day and every morning, but he has given me the peace of heaven because I have the spirit of God inside of me. I have divine shalom. So learning, the best way I could describe it is this. It's like, you know, dialing in a radio channel. Sometimes we need, we get static and we need to dial in, but every child of God can tune it in when you tune in right to the right frequency, as it were, the right station. There is a peace that passes understanding that already dwells within you. If you just live in your head and in yourself, it can be quite turbulent, but there is the peace of the presence of the Spirit of God. That's why every day taking a little time of a devotion and spending time with the Lord is so powerful and so important because you tap into that heaven on the inside and you go through the day, doesn't matter what happens on the outside for the Lord is with you, amen? So to the saints, I hope that when you read these letters in the New Testament, you realize, wow, they're talking to the holy ones and guess what, I'm one of those holy ones. And faithful brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Colossae, grace, divine favor meaning you're the most special in the universe to God, your creator, who is also your father in heaven. And peace, shalom, not from outward circumstances, but the shalom is the peace that comes from the presence of God inside of you by his spirit, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verses three through five. 
He's going to say this, we are blessed with divine faith, love, and hope in Christ. So look at me in verses three through five. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope, so notice the first thing in verse four, he said, we heard of your faith, and now in verse five he says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. And it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. So here as we look at these, these verses, we, we, he, he talks about faith, he talks about love, and he talks about hope. So he, he first begins talking about faith. Um, and as he talks about that faith, faith is the capacity to see and to hear and to feel the spirituality of the world in which we live and to know it, to recognize it, and to trust in it. Faith. But so faith is the first thing that connects us. When you hear the gospel, you trust in what you hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you connect your faith to the story of Jesus, because there's nobody, no human being in all of human history that has been like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Nobody. No other leader, no other prophet, no other guru, no other spiritual man, no other holy man said the things Jesus said, did the things that Jesus did, paid the price that Jesus did, that predicted how he would be rejected and die, which had already been told by the prophets, and then give the day and what would happen when he rose from the dead. And we get to read the gospels because I, I just heard some, you know, I won't name him, but some well-known guy that has a lot of people follow him. And, you know, he, he's very entertaining. I'll just say that. But he just went on record to say Christians, I think, it, I don't know if it was stupid or idiots that they, they believe in the Bible about some guy 2,000 years ago. And he goes, with, with zero evidence, there's no evidence of any of this. And I, I was just like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh my gosh, I felt so sorry for him. You said this publicly? You, you let people out? I mean, first of all, let alone that you're, you're you know, uh, speaking against about 2.7 billion people, that you're an idiot if you believe in the Bible because there's no evidence. And I was just like, where, what planet do you live on? I mean, I remember years ago reading a book by Josh McDowell, who was an atheist. First of all, he was basically saying to believe in the Bible or to believe in the stories of Jesus, you're stupid. And I was going, okay, look, you, you may not be a Christian, you may want to disagree, but out of the 2.7 billion, there's some pretty smart people that, have, that are believers in Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen on that? So whether it's C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist and brilliant man, and then came skidding with his heels into belief later in life, whether it's another guy, Josh McDowell, another atheist that studied the Bible to prove that it was wrong. How many of you have heard of Josh McDowell? He's from a generation ago, but apparently this guy that went on saying Christians are stupid because they believe in Jesus when there's zero evidence 
for Christianity. And, and I immediately, I popped in my head, he's never read the book Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell wrote an entire book how he tried to prove that Jesus Christ and the whole thing and the resurrection, it was a fraud and it didn't happen. And he could not prove that it was not real. And one of, you know, a hundred different things that convinced him was the, the, the reality of the gospels, it's not like these professional holy men that kind of hovered three feet above the earth and floated into caves and had divine revelations come down to them. No, they were fishermen, tax collectors. They were unschooled. They were not professional, even religious men. Uh, there were zealots among them. They were, you know, crazy in this whole group. And then at the, at the very moment he needed them most, and then when Jesus crucified, they all ran and fled and deserted him which he told them that they would. And then they say that they saw him with their own eyes alive. And what Josh said is, forget whatever it is you wanna believe, but every single one of them then went to die a martyr's death, saying, I saw that man who died and I ran away, but I saw him alive with my own eyes. Peter was crucified upside down. You know, it just goes on and on and on. They died, and the only way they would have done that is if they had seen Jesus. They knew what they had seen and the powerful witness. But what I'm saying is, we're hearing people you know, make mistakes and accusations that have been here for, you know, I guess the last 2,000 years, but they're missing it. Faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing the truth of God. But it's not faith in faith. Because a lot of people say, well, as long as you believe in something, that's good. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say, well, faith is good because at least if you're believing and trusting, kind of follow a spiritual path and it'll take you there. No, the Bible says the object of your faith has to be correct also. Faith is necessary, but the object of your faith has to be legitimate. One that you follow, believe in, and trust in, and that alone that brings salvation is faith in the person of Jesus Christ, amen? Faith in Jesus and in him alone. Secondly, Paul mentions love. And for Paul, uh, faith proves its reality by expressing itself through love. Loving God is seen in how we love one another. And we've all met people who claim to be good Christians, they're upstanding, they're honest, they're orthodox, and they're also some of the meanest people on the planet, or they are very unloving. And that was true in Jesus' day. There were many religious people, Pharisees, we know the names, but they were unloving. And I want, what, what Paul is saying is that if you are actually a child of God, then love is a fruit that should be in your life. Faith, but also genuine love. Uh, those are the kind of people that Mark Twain had in mind when he said, yes, he is a good man in the worst sort of way. Meaning he's good, but he's just mean or he's not loving. I don't, how many of you say, I don't want to be like that? I want to be a real Christian, a real child of God. So I love this, the beautiful thing that rocked the Roman world in Rome, where Paul was, in Ephesus, in Philippi, in Colossae, in all these different cities was. I mean, you want to talk about the race wars and the division that we're having right now? 
crank that up about 10 or more times, go back 2,000 years ago into the very brutal Roman world, you don't cross this road. You don't cross this bound. You don't go to this barrier. Everybody was segregated and had their place. And wars and division constantly in every community, in every city, and only by the Roman law and military could they thump it down. But there was something going on where you would have a Scythian, a barbarian, a Jew, a Gentile, a male, a female, all these groups, slave, free, educated, uneducated, and they all loved one another. It was, it, it blew their mind. They had never seen anything like it. And people then were drawn to that. There's something in humanity that says, you know what? At the bottom, we can draw the lines and divisions that we want, but when you drain it all out, we're all human beings. We want to belong to the human family. We care about people. We love people. We want to help people, not hurt people, and finally treat one another as human beings that are made in the image of God. And that's what Jesus did. He exploded the potential with which we were made in his image to be a family and a community. And people say, finally, I've been looking for something like that. And that's what happened in the Jesus movement. It blew all of the triggers and all of the things that you can't do. You got to look a certain way, address a certain way, and act a certain way, and it just blew it all up. And, and that's, can, does anybody say, can say, anybody say amen with me? We need a new revival like that today. Blow up all the divisions and why I'm not for you. Because the thing, you start drawing lines, the next thing you know, you're drawing lines in your, with your best friends or within your own family. And it just, it all breaks apart. The reason that the church really pierced the heart of Rome is that all human beings are looking for that unity and that healing and that oneness to be able to come together. Finally, uh, thirdly, so there was faith, there was love, and finally, there was hope. Paul celebrated the hope that we have. And it's just beautiful, the, the truth of the gospel and the hope that we have because of the grace of God that is in him. Hope. The hope of heaven. The hope of heaven that comes into your soul. The hope of heaven. So let me just say this. In your mind right now, I want you to think about looking up and you're going through our atmosphere and now you're going up past the moon and now you see the, you know, the first star out there we call the sun and then you, then you got all the other planets in our little, gal our little solar system and then you go out and there's other solar systems and then there's other galaxies and you just keep going and going and going and then somehow way at the end of that that we still have not seen the end of, there is another realm that is real, there's no way man is ever gonna get there from our little efforts here. <laughs> you know, we, we've been to the moon and, and now they wanna go to Mars, woo! Uh, we got a long way to go. I just wanna say this, the only way it's gonna work is for heaven to come down this way, not us trying to get up and go that way. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is from that realm at wherever the edge of the universe is. Because God said, you know what? I created the universe and I, I, can, I can put the whole universe in the span of my hand. That's how big God is. The universe is that big to God. 
God came down. God pierced the darkness. God humbled himself. God revealed himself. That's the only way it could work. We're never going to make it up. There's not, a, you know, it's not reincarnation coming back billions of times. We're never going to get farther than where we are now. But if God, the real God, decided and wanted to come down, he could and he did. And that's why it's in Christ. Christ is heaven. Christ is the revelation. Christ is the one who has revealed to us and if you want to know what heaven is like, just look at Jesus. Every time he touched someone, heaven flowed through his fingers. If you're lame, you're not lame anymore. If you're deaf, you can hear. Why? Because that's heaven. If you're blind, you can see. If you're dead, you're raised. You got a demon messes with you, they're screaming and out and gone. That's heaven. And so we have a real heaven, and we have the way to heaven, and that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? That is our great hope, the hope of heaven. I want you to look with me and read with me uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Let's read this out loud. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, in closing, verses six through eight, faith, hope, and love bring forth fruit in our lives here and now. So look at me, verses six through eight. It says, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. As it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. Paul's just celebrating that apparently the guys that came from Colossae to Ephesus when Paul was there, it's a guy named Epaphras, and he's one of the ones that probably planted the church. And so he's just saying, man, what a dear, sweet brother. He took the revival happening in Ephesus and he brought it to the next city, uh, and that's how they came into the kingdom of heaven. And I, I just love that. I mean, again, I'll close the story I started with about my pastor friend visiting us from Lebanon. Here I have this friend who does this film called The Chosen and he makes these videos about Jesus. And then after a huge explosion and great you know, calamity and you know, darkness, I mean, their whole government is collapsing. We got problems. How many would agree we got problems in our government? But their whole government has totally collapsed and they don't know, you know how food is gonna come and they're terrified out of their minds, but out of that, they shared Jesus. And that's what made a, a whole young, new generation ripe. And when they heard the gospel, they said, that's what I need, that's what I've been looking for. And they made the choice to open the door of their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.